0: Coming up on Millennial. All social media, they're all hell sites. Like you can't win. There's just, there's the same problem, same drama everywhere.
1: Because they're all limited in the same ways. It
0: shows that
2: someone like DeSantis is willing to play fast and loose with people's livelihoods.
1: This is spooking a lot of people. Is that someone you want for president? Let alone your governor.
2: Yeah, he's doing it just to energize his base. I will say, Barnes & Noble, I love the smell. I love how I it know. smells. When I walk in there, it's like books and Maybe coffee.
0: it's the 15-year-old carpet. <laughs> Maybe.
2: Yeah, it's like the grime of hundreds of thousands of people trampling right. all over that carpet.
1: <laughs> Welcome to Millennial, the home of fake adulting but real talk. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. Welcome back, Laura. Did you have a nice little vacation? Thank you.
2: I had a wonderful vacation. We went on a road trip to visit friends up north, and it was a great time. I think that might have answered an outstanding question you had.
1: (laughs) Road trip. I was very worried about Laura being surrounded by people who weren't wearing masks on a plane, potentially. But good. Good. But I understand you might be flying next month.
2: Yeah. So, Mark's uh, just like wonderful, perfect, uh, beautiful, intelligent sister is graduating from her master's program at Hopkins. Uh, wow. Big deal. That's so, nice. we are going up for her. Yeah. She's 23, by the way. I, I'm like, Oh, my goodness. I'm looking at, at her and at Chloe, and I'm like, Wow the Gen Zers just have it together. Um, but we're going up for her graduation. We're only going to be there for a few days. So we're going to have to fly. And I already know you're going to ask the question. <laughs> yes, we are going to mask.
1: Oh, I assumed you would. Yeah, it's It's everybody else who will be the problem.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everybody else will be the problem. I will not be the problem.
1: <laughs> well, Laura, does your car still have a CD player? Yes,
2: actually, which I think is okay. weird because I got my car in 2016. It's a Prius. And I mean it it's very new, but it still came with a CD player in it which I never use. I've literally never used it okay. not once.
1: <laughs> really, not even once, huh? No, <laughs> you know-
2: I I mean I have Bluetooth.
1: Yeah, that's I true, can... but like you don't have a little stack of CDs that like carried over from your previous car. No, that's still in this car. No, I bet no. Pam does.
0: <laughs> yeah, I do because I every every year when I'm cleaning out the shed where just like all my old boxes are from my childhood home, I inevitably will come to the CD box, and at this point, so much time has passed that I like to take out the mixed ta- the, the mixed tapes the mixed cds you know everybody used to burn mixed cds and a lot of them don't have you know track listings on them and they definitely don't have like you know cases that tell you what's on there so i just think it's really fun to pull those out and and play them in the car and see like yeah what i was listening to at that time in my life or or what the people that made those were listening to and stuff like that i think that's really fun They're like little time
1: capsules. Yeah, yeah, they are. Well, the reason I ask this is because CD sales rose for the first time in two decades last year. Wow. Billboard believes it's partly due to three of the biggest artists releasing new albums last year, Adele, Taylor Swift, and BTS. Adele alone sold 900,000 copies of her latest album. But Axios spoke to a record store owner who said, quote, I think this really is about young people who are finding they like hard copies of music in the digital age. I don't know what to make of this vinyl. I get you. It's fun to collect. It's fun to browse through used record stores. Most importantly, you get this nice big square that you get to display in your home. CDs, you can't really use them. They're not as fun to display. They are higher quality than Bluetooth. But nobody cares because we're satisfied with how good Bluetooth is. Why have these jumped, Pam, in sales?
0: I think that if you're purely looking at the artists that uh, Billboard has pointed to in terms of driving up CDs, all of these are artists that um, either have uh, come out with Different variations of the same album. And there are a lot of fans that are collectors, so perhaps they want more than one. Taylor Swift is very smart in the way that she does her CDs. She'll do March bundles, but she also puts out different editions. So you can go to like Target and get like, you know, a snippet of like her song diary with different variations of the same album, or she'll do bonus tracks that are only exclusive to like the CDs that she's selling at uh, certain sellers or at certain big box stores or on her website. I think Adele um, also does the same thing and BTS, I know for sure has different variations of the same albums as well. So it becomes kind of this collector item in a way that vinyl does as well. And it's really just nice to hold stuff. And, you know, I think that that's something that we can relate to growing up. In, uh, you know, years where if you wanted to buy music or get an album, you had to buy a CD. But it's nice to know that the younger generation appreciates that, too, because there's nothing like holding a, a CD and getting to look through the album and like reading along with the lyrics. There's like such there's like more of a personal experience that comes along with doing that with like an album insert than it would be just like going on Genius.com and like reading along with the lyrics as you're listening to an album.
1: Holding it and of course, owning the music, of course, with Spotify and all these others, you're basically renting all this music. Shipments of CDs rose from 31.6 million in 2020 to 46.6 million in 2021. So that's a jump of 15 million. So it wasn't just Adele. It wasn't just Taylor or BTS. I was just very surprised by this. I don't think CDs are going to come back.
2: I don't know. I don't know if I feel equipped to say one way or the other if they won't come back. They're not coming back for me. (laughs) Um, I I think as a child of that era, I don't personally see the appeal. I love that I carry my phone with me and it has everything I could ever want or need on it. But, you know, I can also understand the nostalgia factor for someone who maybe really enjoys 90s pop culture which we know the youths right now do right chloe's come on the show and talked about how 90s culture is really big for gen z um so along with sort of like reviving the fashion of that period of time but please don't bring back early 2000s fashion like please and god i swear to god i don't know if it's real this is a tangent but i've seen references that skinny eyebrows are coming back please don't do that to yourselves I had to learn the hard way okay it took me a (laughs) long time to get my eyebrows back to like a normal like width don't do it to yourselves but anyway um, I think that probably this admiration for things that were happening culturally 20 years or so in the past the same way that when we were kids we looked at the 70s. I mean, that 70s show was one of the biggest sitcoms on TV when we were children. So I think that this is probably related
0: to that larger trend. In another time, I might have been inclined to say that it was a phase and it was probably going to pass. But at the same time, I never thought cassette tapes would come back. And I think that speaks to the The point that Laura was making about the nostalgia factor. Uh, Casey Musgraves, who put out an album last year, Starcrossed, she put out cassette tapes (laughs) for her album launch. Harry Styles, whose uh, next album is coming out next month also has uh, different editions of cassette tapes for the album as well. And they're like different colors and stuff like that. And and so it's just interesting to see what the music industry is bringing back. I don't think that like, I mean, at least, you know, CD players, cassette, you could probably get your hands on a Walkman. I don't think we're going to get to the point where like eight tracks are going to come back because nobody has That's... eight track players anymore, you know? but <laughs> That's like, what Walkman, I wanted to mention. I still own, like, we still have a Walkman in the house. We have a couple. I don't have a CD Walkman, which is ironic because those are much more, they're much more recent technology than like a cassette. Walkman. So
1: I think these are all a temporary fad because, yeah, like, yeah, it might be cool to use a portable CD player or Walkman for a little while, but then you start realizing, oh shit, I have to replace the CD every time I get tired of an album. This is a real pain in the ass. It's just like vinyl records. Like, I like the idea of putting on the record, putting the needle down, hearing the scratch, but each side has like three, four songs. You have to get off the couch to turn it over every 10 minutes. It's a pain in the ass. So I think people might enjoy this for a while, and then it'll just fade off.
2: Maybe it'll fade for them. I get the
1: collecting standpoint.
2: Maybe it'll fade for them when they realize they have to use at-home remedies to deal with scratches. Um, Did anyone here ever rub toothpaste? On their CDs yes. to to fill in yeah. the
0: scratches, <laughs> it <was. laughs> to no avail. It never worked for me. Did it ever work for you? Really? It worked yeah. for
2: me unless the scratch was really deep, then it wouldn't oh, okay. work. But like surface level, superficial ones, it worked. You too. I-, I, like I don't I think I, still I ever have had PTSD this
0: from. I feel like I still have PTSD from the, the songs on the CDs that were scratched and would skip because even now, when those songs come on the radio or they come up on Spotify, I'm waiting for the skip and it Me never too. comes because I remember exactly where it was skipping on my copy.
1: And you remember when if you shook your portable CD player too much, it would skip for that reason too. But they all had the CD players, the Walkmans had like, I don't know what it was called, like DSP it's like, it's or something like, a shock. It
0: was like 90 second.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was. They were like shockproof, sort of, but yeah. for the first few years, they didn't have that shock yeah. prevention.
0: Yeah, I remember one year, I I asked my dad for a like a CD Walkman for for my birthday or something. And I had like picked out this really cute looking sleek one. (laughs) He comes back with this thing that looks like a brick and like, it's clearly meant for extreme sporting (laughs) on the go or something. And it's like, it was like the ugliest thing I've ever seen. It was like bright yellow and black. And he was like, no, because this has like, um, whatever that technology was that would like, it's like anti-skip, like this is the one you want. (laughs) So I was like, okay.
1: (laughs) That was a big deal. I remember like upgrading my Walkman and, you know, getting the one with better skip protection. I was like, "Whoa, so high-tech. I can bounce around to Lady Marmalade and I won't miss a beat."
2: <laughs> oh man, the soundtrack of Andrew's Youth. <laughs> I
1: had a portable CD player with Lady Marmalade on it. I burned it myself. I just listened to that song on loop for I'm just days. imagining
0: you burning a CD with like 18 tracks of Lady Marmalade. Was that what it was? I
1: probably did. Of just you know, I just, like one on repeat. <laughs> I still have very distinct memories of listening in the car as my parents were driving us around and that's when they must have started suspecting that somebody in the back seat was gay. <laughs> Do you two remember your first CD purchase? I think mine was probably in sync or Backstreet Boys. My sister got a CD player before me. And I was so jealous. I was still on my shitty cassette player.
2: So, probably the first CD that was purchased for me was ugh, like Britney Spears or Spice Girls. But I do distinctly remember the first CD that I bought for myself, like I saved my allowance money to get it, was Destiny's Child Writings on the Wall. <laughs> it still holds up. I still listen. To the iconic tracks off that album.
0: Yeah, like Laura, I, re- I also remember the first CD that was given to me. Um, there's a year for Christmas that my, my grandma got me a, uh, a boombox. Music was like always playing in our house. So this was like, I probably should have seen it coming. This, she would have thought that was like the perfect gift. And she, um, she, she also bought a copy of the Grease, um, original motion picture soundtrack so like not the broadway version but like the Olivia and john john travolta uh soundtrack to go with that and then the first cd i bought with my own money was the the first nsync cd
1: nice which was was it just called nsync yeah self-titled album Mm -hmm. yeah i remember that yeah iconic cover
0: uh-huh. My brother, like we both bought our first CDs at the same time, like the ones that we bought with our own money. And he bought the Backstreet Boys. And he was like, <laughs> this is so funny. Because <laughs> we were we were just thinking like who's gonna buy which one? And then like our allegiances have like never faltered since that point. So he's Hell always, yeah. Yeah, like Backstreet Boys is the best boy band of all time. I'm like, uh, I think you mean and sync is the best, best boy band of all time. So
1: <laughs> it's kind of I'm funny. team NSYNC. sync, Laura.
0: I
2: actually was never a fan. As a child of the boy bands. I never got into them. Mm -mm. Mm,
1: I was hoping you were going to say, I'm team 98 Degrees.
2: Oh, God, no. (laughs) Not that lame.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You just probably insulted some of our
2: listeners. I I probably did. I'll I'll issue a preemptive apology. You can send, you can uh, direct all hate mail to me specifically, but send it to Andrew at Hypable. (laughs) Dot com.
1: <laughs> and now a statement from Laura. I regret my comments on Millennial 816 <laughs> yeah. in which I insulted Nick Lachey and company. Worth mentioning Record Store Day was just this past weekend. I've attended these in some years. Basically, um, many artists will release special edition vinyls just for Record Store Day. It's a great way to support artists, of course, but also vinyl record stores. So I love This concept in general,
0: yeah, it's uh, I think it's so much fun. I didn't do it this year and I haven't in a couple of years, but like you, I have definitely gone out in the past. Uh, good old Amoeba is always usually my record store of choice just because I've always lived near one.
1: I guess, Laura, have you has this been something on your radar? Do you collect vinyl, Laura?
0: You know, not formally,
2: like, I don't have sort of like a mission in mind to collect vinyl, but I will um, buy vinyl if I see something that really jumps out at me. Um, We have Wax and Facts here in Atlanta and Little Five Points. That's probably one of the more notable record stores in the Atlanta area. Um, But I've definitely also hit up Amoeba Records when I was out West too and got some
1: things. How would you like a 98 Degrees vinyl record? $37 on eBay. I can order it right now.
2: That sounds like something you shouldn't spend $37 on.
1: Okay. All right. Understood. I'll save it for your uh, Secret Santa gift this year.
2: Yeah, there we go. I'm trying not to insult the 98 Degrees fans (laughs) in the Discord, because I see they're Uh speaking up. I'm so
1: sorry. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh, Courtney. Sorry, Courtney. (laughs) Well, we also have to mention Elon Musk. CEO of uh, Tesla, has bought Twitter for $44 billion. This has been a story that's been um, in the works over the last few weeks. People kind of saw it as a joke at first, but then it got serious a few days ago when he did um, secure the money he needed to actually make the purchase. And then we still didn't think it would actually happen. But then Twitter's board started seriously considering the offer. And now here we are. The deal should be closing later this year. And my main comment on this matter is I think everybody should just wait and see what happens with Elon at the helm. We don't know what he's going to do. Everybody's predicting total disaster, and that may very well be, and people are already leaving Twitter, but we just don't know. Elon probably doesn't even know what he's going to do with it, so let's just see what happens before we come to any conclusions. That's all I ask.
2: I think that's fair. I also have a really fatalistic outlook on Twitter and social media at this point. We've talked on the show before about how none of us are as active on the social platforms as we once were. Um, I don't feel anything about this news. I feel completely disassociated from anything that happens to Twitter because, and as I said, in probably the first tweet I've put up in a while, I think Twitter's demise began in 2015. So for anyone who suddenly thinks that it's starting now, it's like the ball's been rolling downhill for years at this point. And I think that it's, I think Twitter has been on borrowed time in terms of its use in the world as like a positive tool for connecting online. Um, I've been honestly thinking very seriously in recent weeks about unplugging from Twitter. I don't know if that means that I delete my account or if it means that I just kind of go dormant (laughs) on there. I feel like sometimes I have been dormant because I'll go months at a time without tweeting a damn thing. So I don't know. My, my, uh, feature on Twitter is TBD it's hard to care there's so much shit going on that it's hard to care I will say though just for some context here remember when Elon asked the UN how much it would cost yeah
1: everybody's yeah I know I I, look I don't particularly like the guy but we should all assume that he wants Twitter to be successful he just bought it for 44 billion dollars oh
2: I'm not so, saying it won't be successful. I'm just saying that I- I'm afraid that it can con- it will continue sort of this theme of the hellscape we've been living in. I don't yeah. know. I don't know though that Elon taking ownership of Twitter makes that worse in any way. I feel like it's already pretty bad. <laughs> so Is
1: Twitter bad? I'm looking at the trending topics right now, and one of them is Velveeta Voldemort. What? I think Twitter's a hit.
0: <laughs> I think Twitter like all social media is what you make it. And also I just don't think we're going to see that much of a change. And nope most people are going to forget that yeah. Elon even owns Twitter after a while because you know I I don't see like this Max exit is happening at all. I saw no. this really people funny headline from Yeah, I saw this really funny headline from BuzzFeed that was like Elon Musk bought Twitter, so it's time to like resurrect your Tumblr account. I was like, Tumblr is like not even like that much better shape than Twitter. All social media is like. They're all hell sites like you can't win. There's there's the same problem, same drama everywhere.
1: Because they're all limited in the same ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nobody. Probably nobody can fix Twitter. Mm -hmm. I think Twitter can be a very good place. I've enjoyed Twitter. I've also hated Twitter. They definitely do have problems. But I saw this tweet and Laura, maybe keep this in mind before you go dormant. Don Winslow tweeted, don't leave Twitter. We cannot give away the two biggest social media platforms to these right-wing motherfuckers. We have to stay right here, dig in and fight. I think that's an interesting point cuz we kind of like gave away Facebook to Republicans, right? It's just overrun with with all their bad takes. Twitter, we got to stay and fight the good fight. Keep our our flag firmly planted. We can't let them take this too.
2: Uh yeah, but even It's not quite so simple as like left versus right on social media anymore, because there are some bonkers folks on the left who are very vocal on social media. There's a lot of virtue signaling that happens on social media. We've discussed this in recent episodes as well, and how you have to really wade through a lot of bullshit to find anything substantive so my feelings towards social media in general are like like let it burn i don't care maybe i'll feel differently at another point if i'm feeling more optimistic about sort of like (laughs) the political future um and how that sort of intermingles with the internet but i'm not feeling great about it right now (laughs) Is anyone else
1: No, I'm nervous about what Elon is going to do, to be clear. But I just think it's too early to assume that it's going to go to complete hell. Twitter is a very important platform. I really do believe that. If you want to get a message out there, Twitter is the place to put it. You don't see people sharing... Facebook posts on television and reporting on Facebook posts. Everything happens on Twitter. (laughs) People know that that's the place to go and spread your message. So I really like it from that angle. I have friends on Twitter. I enjoy the comedians on Twitter. I like Twitter. I don't like how people can attack you. They've got problems to solve, but I'm not leaving anytime soon. If he reinstates Trump, I don't know if I can handle that. (laughs) That's people are concerned he's going to allow trump to come back and i think that's very valid cuz he keeps talking about free speech oh, which presumably means letting everyone yeah stay yeah
2: elon is definitely one of these like free speech fuckboys who does not understand what free speech means in relation to our constitution and that it it doesn't include like incitements of violence <laughs> um yeah. so yeah. I mean, I, I think that that attitude definitely favors one ideology over the other. I will say, I don't know if he's going to bring Trump back.
1: By the way, Velveeta Voldemort is a new nickname for Donald Trump. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay. That's funny. hair,
1: cheese, kind of long. That's <laughs> oh, shiny. My lord.
2: I thought That's you were gonna funny. say it was a new name for JK
0: Rowling. I was like, mm.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Pam, any final thoughts on this before we move on?
0: No, I think like you, I I think Twitter is a is a really good resource for news. These days I tend to, like you, lurk more than I actually tweet. But for catching up on, you know, just the the trending headlines, I think it's a great resource for doing that, if anything else.
1: Yeah, by the way, you guys mentioned uh Tumblr flopping. Tumblr largely flopped because they took away all the porn, right? That was the beginning yes. of the end for them. <laughs> if Twitter gets rid of the porn, which I don't think Elon would do. Um he's a 5-year-old. I he probably spends a lot of time looking at Twitter porn himself. Then Twitter might be in trouble like Tumblr was, but I can't see Twitter getting rid of the porn. Well, we're going to talk about a little more internet news in a moment. But first, I just wanted to say that if you enjoy the show, and we hope you do, make sure you leave us a review in your favorite podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, many of them have review systems. So if you could just take a moment to leave a review, we would greatly appreciate that. And thank you in advance. Pam? There's been some, uh, there's some more major tech news this week.
0: Yeah, Netflix is is not having a good uh, first quarter or a, a good week, really. They reported last week that they actually lost two hundred thousand subscribers uh, during the first half of the year. Which doesn't really seem like a lot in hindsight, but this is the first time that Netflix has ever reported a subscriber loss in uh, the last decade. So this is a huge turn of events for them. It's especially embarrassing because according to The Hollywood Reporter, they had actually projected that they would add 2.5 million subscribers in the first quarter of 2022. So they definitely Ooh. missed the mark on that. And apparently that was kind of like lowballing what they thought they were going to add in different markets. So they, they had a lofty goal for themselves for sure.
1: And I'm sure the pandemic played a role in this. They probably saw a huge bump around the pandemic and they... Updated their projections accordingly. And then we started sort of returning to normal and, well, people started canceling, not to mention the price hike. Like, how could they have thought more people would sign up during the price hike, which we spoke about a few Months ago,
0: yeah, and I'm glad that you mentioned the pandemic too, because obviously, after all this came out, uh, it was kind of crazy to see how their stock tanked. It dropped 37% last Wednesday, and then they sent out a letter to shareholders where they talked about what they thought was contributing to the loss in subscribers. And one of the things that they did list was the pandemic. Um, I also, I think it's like interesting that they they probably thought they were going to keep a lot of people because everybody was at home. But the thing is, is that a lot of uh, productions that Netflix had going came to a halt and a lot of people have also theorized that that's why a lot of shows were like well not a lot but like a handful of shows got canceled because they couldn't figure out the logistics and filming and it didn't make sense to keep those on the back burner if they had no idea when they were going to be able to start shooting again so uh it was definitely a double-edged sword for them some other things that they pointed to in terms of reasons why they might have lost subscribers include the oversaturated streaming market which we've talked about before and then they also Decided pulling out of Russia amidst the war on Ukraine, but that's a more recent thing, so I don't know how much that really would have affected their first quarter numbers. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, and they also share that they anticipate losing two million subscribers in Q2. And that shocked me. First, that's a very large number, but B, that's the quarter, this quarter, in which Stranger Things is coming back. That's like their biggest show. That's what they put all their chips on. They sell Stranger Things merchandise. like They know they have a hit on their hands with that one in particular. I'm just shocked by all of this. I think password sharing, (laughs) I can't wait to see what they do with password sharing to crack down on that. That's going to be really interesting to see. We spoke about that a few weeks ago. But there's all these other streaming apps too, right? And I don't think Netflix is as big of a priority for consumers as it once was.
2: No, and honestly, I don't know about y'all, but just in my personal life talking to people about uh password sharing on Netflix, I've heard from multiple people in my personal life who are like, "If they take away password sharing, I'm closing my account,
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: because uh, well, they might that's... not be too
0: happy about what happens next. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, I I mean, they've also, right, they're doing that test overseas. I'm I'm forgetting in which countries where if I think they it was Chile, right? Out,
0: Chile and yeah. somewhere in South America. America.
1: If yeah. they figure out that you're password sharing, they'll say, hey, we see that other people are using your account. How about you give us another three dollars a month for to cover this person? And then what do you do? Do you love that person enough to continue covering them for $3 a month? If you're nope. a parent, you do it for your kid. But yeah, I'm not going to do it for any old friend. And I guess you could like start splitting that with a friend. But how do you do that? With Venmo? Once a month? Once a year? That sounds stressful. I'd be afraid of forgetting.
2: Well, it also just... Begins to become a budgeting thing for people, right? Because there are approximately 10 million streaming services right now. And it's not like all of the hot shows are on the same platform right now. So if you want to watch everything good, you kind of have to have Netflix, Paramount yeah. Plus. You have to have, you know, in some cases, Amazon Prime, um, Hulu. Hulu, Apple TV Plus. Peacock started started watching Severance the other night. Really good, (laughs) you know. um, CNN
1: Plus. Oh wait, that one lasted three weeks. (laughs) (laughs) I was one of their only subscribers.
2: (laughs) Did they like send you a condolences package or like a condolence basket when CNN Plus died?
1: I canceled so quick when I actually <laughs> looked at CNN Plus. I was like, "This is a joke. I don't even get CNN." So I canceled it. Now I'm wishing I didn't because I wonder if they sent an email like that to to their ten subscribers. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. I mean, th- there's so many streaming platforms, and you have to prioritize. Like, I share an HBO Max account uh, with my family and Peacock. My my mom pays for HBO Max and Peacock. Uh, My mom and sister and dad and brother get in return my Netflix and I guess my Hulu. So I think that's probably the best way to balance these all out. But if Netflix, which, by the way, 10 years ago, they were tweeting up a storm about love is sharing your Netflix password. If Netflix starts cracking down on password sharing, you're not going to be able to get away with that anymore. And I think Netflix does have good shows. They do. There's just not enough to justify spending 15 to $20 a month every month. So people, people maybe are just going to have to get better about starting up these subscriptions and then canceling them. You watch Ozark for two months, and you cancel. You come back for Stranger Things, you cancel again. If Netflix is smart, they spread all their good stuff out throughout the year and then you can't cancel. But
0: I mean, I do. I, this is not the same because it's not a traditional streamer, but I do this with stars um for Outlander, like Outlander is about to air its season finale on Sunday. So I'll be canceling that subscription after that. I used to do this with uh, Game of Thrones as well for HBO. Now, honestly, like I think that. HBO Max with its theater exclusivity window closing in and having so many of those like releases i feel like if you're trying to pinch your pennies you might want to opt to subscribe to that and cancel like a Netflix subscription for example if like it i guess it just depends on what kind of content you want to consume but uh, the fact of the matter is there's never been more choices than what we have now. And uh new Nielsen survey actually recently found that almost half of streaming subscribers in the U.S. feel overwhelmed by an excess amount of choices on streaming platforms. So it's just so much content coming at you um, all the time. It and uh, And so, yeah, I mean, if you're not... If you're cognizant of not using one streamer over the other, especially with like inflation, everything's more expensive now. I don't blame people for for you know dipping out.
1: I was, I'm glad you mentioned that survey because I was looking at Netflix the other day and we all know how it looks. You load up the homepage and you're presented with hundreds of choices. And there's so many, you just don't know what to pick. And I was thinking to myself, I wish that I loaded up Netflix and there was just five choices for me to watch. Five choices. That's it. I have to pick one of these five (laughs) because it's overwhelming and stressful. And then I spend so much time jumping from app to app, deciding what to watch, that I just end up uh, tapping out and I go over to YouTube TV and then I start watching some live TV because passive TV sometimes is just much more preferable to um, picking a show.
0: And honestly, like, I don't know what Netflix is doing with its homepage, but I feel like more and more, I I just don't see them highlighting the content that I feel like they should. Like, for example, uh, Heartstopper, which is an adaptation of a graphic novel by Alice Oseman, uh, premiered last this past Friday. And. You know, that was getting a lot of hype. That webcomic was really popular. The books are really popular. I assumed that I could go, you know, log into Netflix on Friday and see it like right on the main page. I had to search for Heartstopper because it wasn't like on its banner. So I don't know, like what they're choosing to highlight and what they're not. But I just kind of feel like whoever's doing Their market strategy over there needs to uh, do a better job of fixing that or they need to like overhaul their algorithm because I that's a gay
1: teen romance. And Netflix should know by now that Pam's into that gay stuff.
0: That's that's all I want in my life. (laughs) More gay stuff. So,
1: yeah, I haven't watched that yet.
0: Heartstopper is is uh, quite lovely. So um, and I liked it more than Young Royals, which is another very popular queer romance on Netflix.
1: So, oh, I didn't know about that one. And we've also been talking today about like, oh, we'll start up our subscriptions for a month and then cancel. We've been taking for granted the fact that you can start and stop whenever you want. And how many more years until Netflix and HBO and all these others start locking us into annual contracts like the cable companies do? And to that point, Netflix and these others are starting to look like cable companies, aren't they?
2: I agree. It, it's starting to feel like that in terms of how much we're spending. Certainly
1: price wise, they are going to Netflix said they're starting to think about doing an ad tier. So you would pay less for Netflix, but then you'd have to deal with ads maybe during the beginning, middle and end. And that just goes against like what we've always known about Netflix and Netflix's CEO has infamously always said that we will not put ads on the platform. Netflix is for streaming. You pay us. We just give you the content. No ads.
2: Well, they also once said that they were okay with password sharing. So true that. Yeah, enough money can persuade these companies to change their tune.
0: I just kind of feel like the only streamer that I feel like should really be allowed to <laughs> to to run like an ad supported tier is Hulu because Hulu, uh, you know, has contracts like licensing contracts with all of the network. Pretty much that don't have their own um, streaming platforms themselves nowadays. And since that's more along the lines of traditional TV, I will accept that. Um, but I kind of feel like it's really cheap to have like ad supported tiers. And then like it does the non-ad supported tiers are so much more expensive you know, yeah. like um even like like HBO Max, for example, is like, like $9.99 for the ad supported tier. To be fair, the the ads I've noticed on the ad supported tier on HBO Max are not that bad. Okay. Um, some I know some some uh streamers are, are like way worse. And they usually run them like right at the beginning. So it's like three ads like less than two minutes right before, and then you're you're home free. Um, but then, like the the um, the ad free tier is ten dollars more. It's nineteen ninety nine a month, which is so expensive.
1: What so, is this for HBO, it's Max? HBO
0: Max? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's nineteen ninety nine a month for the yeah for the ad free tier. I, is that? Is I it think
1: 16? it's fourteen ninety nine. I think it's fourteen ninety nine. Is it? Yeah, wasn't that's a it- lot
0: better. I thought it was way more, but maybe I'm mixing it up with You're confusing with it with Netflix, maybe. Probably, yeah.
1: yeah.
2: Yeah, that's what I pay on HBO Max right now is the fourteen ninety nine.
1: And we never spoke about this, I don't think, but Disney also announced that they are going to be rolling out an ad-supported tier later this yeah. year, I believe. They're all going to it. It's, and there's going to be like- no avoidance.
0: How much How much more is it going to be for, for ad-free? Because right now, Disney Plus is ad-free, and I know all of us are locked into that three-year deal, so it doesn't really make a difference, yeah. but $7.99 is very affordable, or $8.99, whatever it is now.
1: Uh, it all sucks so. because they got us in at these lower prices, and then as time goes on, they... You know, they go up a dollar or two every few years, and before you know it, they're all going to be at least twenty dollars a month or twenty five dollars a month, and then we're definitely paying more than we ever did with cable. So, fuck us, I guess. It <laughs> it seems cruel, really, to raise the prices. Like, imagine imagine if Patreon allowed us to just like start charging everybody another dollar or two a month. All of the all of the supporters would be like, "Fuck you! How dare you!" And I agree that that is wrong. Yeah. And yet when it, when Netflix does it, everybody's just like, oh, okay. Well, I think how it is.
2: with large subscription services, that model is kind of to be expected. It's not great.
1: Being dicks, yeah.
2: Yeah, but I will say I, I understand that prices just naturally have to go up. But yeah. where I get frustrated is when they go up, And there hasn't been any innovation or any additions of newer, better features. So that's my gripe with Netflix, for example, is like, what am I getting for this extra money that I'm spending? It sure as fuck isn't quality
0: content. (laughs) I was going to say they keep canceling like all of the shows that bring me joy. And I know I'm not the only one.
1: Yeah, there's been a ton of talk of that recently. Mm -hmm. And I've seen lots of fresh speculation. I heard that they um, cancel shows after a season or two so they don't have to pay the crew's higher salaries because, you know, a seniority, you'd start to get paid more. But if they're canceling the shows, there's no seniority on these shows. It's all sick.
0: I don't want us to contemplate the whole will we leave question because I feel like we ask ourselves this every time we talk about Netflix. But what I would be curious to know is if we think that this is the beginning of a a mass exodus just simply by nature of the fact that they've never reported a loss in subscribers. Like, do we think we're going to be seeing them lose subscribers more frequently going forward
1: with the price hike and the password crackdown, I think so. Is this the beginning of the end for Netflix? No. I think they'll continue to do fine, they'll produce less shows, they'll unfortunately do some layoffs and whatnot. And maybe they, they'll do less higher budget shows. But yeah, I don't I in terms of like, is Netflix now on a downward trend that'll never end and, and they're gonna be MySpace in ten years? I don't think so. I think they're here to stay.
2: You think they'll give us the top eight? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Pick your top eight shows. We'll only show you those shows. <laughs> oh, Laura, great news. A 98 Degrees documentary is coming to Netflix.
2: Man, just why, why are you so obsessed with 98 Degrees?
1: It's just a running joke on today's episode.
2: <laughs> I mean, I will say um, I've watched both seasons of Love is Blind. So... You know, I know Nick Lachey is on there. Oh I, yeah, okay. I always forget that he was in Ninety Eight Degrees. <laughs> Honestly,
1: yeah, it's yeah, he's, he's made a he's name for outside. Yeah, yeah. You
2: know? <laughs> but also I, I've never seen him anywhere else. So I'm like, I know him. I know he's famous, but I don't know why I know him.
1: I used to have a crush on him as a kid. It's the only reason I liked Ninety Eight Degrees when I was oh, younger.
2: Oh, <laughs> it's all coming together. The threads are all connecting. Childhood yeah. crush.
1: All right, well, until the next time one of these streamers introduces a bad idea. Yep. We'll talk about them again. We should talk them
2: then. Um, Well, before we move on to our next story tonight, uh, we just wanted to take a quick second to give some love to our Patreon, um, where we've got hundreds of hours of bonus content available at your fingertips as soon as you sign up at the two, five, or $10 support levels. Our Patreon isn't just a place where we have a ton of fun with our show's supporters, but it's also the show's bread and butter, especially on weeks like this where we don't have any advertisers. Um, and it's really how we're able to make getting the show out to y'all weekly a priority. It's how we're able to stay on top of current events and news. We've got all kinds of great benefits over at the Patreon. We've, of course, got our flagship benefit, After Dark. In this week's installment of After Dark, we're going to be doing another edition of Am I the Asshole featuring some of some submissions from our patrons. Um, it's also going to feature a submission from me because I've had something <laughs> happen recently that I'm wondering if I'm the asshole on. Um, So that should be really fun. We've also got breaking news. We did one of those installments recently with kind of a hodgepodge of news that we weren't able to fit in the main show. We've got the millennial variety show. We've got the geek out benefit where we just kind of record ourselves talking about something that we're really passionate about for an hour (laughs) that we wouldn't be able to fit on the show.
1: I didn't do an hour, but I did just post a review of this new Game Boy that's not a Game Boy. That's the latest geek out. Yeah, you could play old Game Boy games on this new system that looks just like a Game Boy. It's very, it is very cool. I, I was very excited to receive it.
2: Yeah. Thank you for plugging that. I didn't know that you'd done that. I need to go watch it at some point. <laughs> um, but yeah, head on over to patreon.com millennial to check out the benefits that we offer. Um, we're super appreciative of your listenership and very, very thankful to all of our current patrons for supporting us, no matter how much um, you're supporting us at. So thank you.
1: Yeah. Thank you very much, everybody.
2: And we're going to jump into a bit of an update story. <laughs> um, we spoke a couple of weeks ago about how Florida Republicans have not taken very kindly to Disney speaking out against their don't say gay bill. Um, we also talked about how Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida was publicly floating the idea of stripping Disney of its self-governing status around its Florida parks, Um this has since come to pass with Governor DeSantis signing a bill last Friday that will abolish Disney's Reedy Creek Improvement District on June 1st, 2023, assuming no other complications get in the way of that deadline, which we'll talk about today. But to give everyone a little bit of a too-long-didn't-read summary of what this means, um, this arrangement Disney's had since like 1967. It's, been like 55 years. Um, This arrangement has allowed Disney to tax itself in order to manage all of its own affairs where the local government would typically be involved. So things like infrastructure, maintenance, emergency medical treatment, flood control, trash collection, power distribution, and water treatment. And with this change... These kinds of items would be administered by Orange and Osceola counties, um, which are the two counties that are kind of like on either side of the Disney resorts. um, And the Reedy Creek Improvement District is in those counties, but due to the special governing status, those counties are not responsible for anything happening in Reedy Creek for the most part. Um, We're going to get into some specifics about what this means, and we're also going to weigh in as to whether or not we think it will actually happen, um, because there are a lot of hypotheticals here, but I think it's important to lay them out because this decision would have really shitty implications for Florida taxpayers, for... The largest employer in Central Florida being Disney, for anyone who's a theme park goer or anyone who spends money on Disney, period, this has negative repercussions all the way down the chain. So um, I thought first we could speak to a reaction we got from a listener who lives in Central Florida and has some additional context. Um, so I can that, read it. Finally. I was going to say so that it's not just yeah. me rambling. Andrew, do you want to <laughs> take this?
1: Yeah, thank you to this person who wrote in. Did they not want to share their name?
2: They did share their name, but you'll see in here they share that their spouse is employed okay, by the theme parks. Okay. And so I just made a judgment call not to include it. Yeah,
1: no, that makes sense. So this person writes I'm a local with a husband that works as a manager of ride engineering and I've worked in operations. So I feel like I can speak to a few things others may not know about. Because Disney is responsible for their own roads, bridges, and emergency response, it may seem like they would be able to slide on things for their own self-gain, but this isn't the case. Not only do roads on Disney property get paved and maintained way more frequently than other Orange County roads, they are also doing a huge overhaul of the bridges and overpasses throughout their property. There are thousands of bridges throughout Florida that are way past their time and need replacing. This is just waiting for an accident to happen. But Disney, rather than sticking to county and state regulations for this kind of infrastructure, is exceeding them. They also have an emergency response team trained on all attractions and buildings to be able to safely evacuate people in the event of an emergency. Because of this, they know how to access places on property to ensure safety. There's literally no way Orange County would do this. They don't at Universal. I've worked there as well. I know this. This reduces response time and makes these things become a bigger event than necessary. And I'm going to jump out of the email for a second and say, I completely understand that. Imagine having to train these emergency crews to go into every little ride. You know, they all have their different nook and crannies and stuff. It's not like a target. (laughs) They're all very different. Anyway, this person continues. Also, their enforcement of codes and ride law go far beyond what is written. Disney's government knows how to ask questions questions to ensure that all the safety protocols are in place. They actually had to change something on the new Star Wars attraction because the Disney government wasn't okay with it, even though it was already signed off on by California's government. So they aren't cutting corners. And most importantly, I don't need my tax dollars going to their improvement projects and their processes when they can handle it just fine by themselves. We literally don't have the money to be governing the Disney property as well. Great email. Thank you to the person that sent that in.
2: Yeah, really thankful for that. And to the the above point that Andrew just mentioned, Disney has an estimated $1 billion um, tax obligation every year and spends an estimated $160 million per year on public services within their independent district. With this change, who does this financial burden fall on? the taxpayers in Orange and Osceola counties, of course. Um, The mayor of Orange County, Jerry Demings, actually said last week, if we had to take over the first response, the public safety components for Reedy Creek with no new revenue, that would be catastrophic for our budget here within Orange County. Um, Additionally, an NPR affiliate said Disney was in charge of ambulance services and fire services on property. So if someone now has a heart attack or a car accident, now it's up to the county to figure out how to handle that and who foots the bill. These are things that all get passed down to taxpayers. Additionally, we're talking about streamers raising prices. Disney is a streamer now. Disney has all these different products. If you think that these additional expenses that Disney would have to incur because of these changes wouldn't be passed down, not only to taxpayers, but to consumers as well, you'd be out of your mind. Disney Hotel Plus. prices, is gonna, food, yeah. G- Genie
1: Plus, yeah, I was everything. Say that yeah. Already yeah. Theme park that with, tickets, of course. New
0: uh, features at the theme park. So that wouldn't even surprise me at all. I think oftentimes we kind of forget. I obviously it's not uncommon for large companies like this to get tax breaks or to be given special priv- privileges. But, um, it's, you know, I'm really grateful for the listener that emailed in because I think we often forget just how much Disney does, um, it, not just like at their theme parks, but also in the, in the surrounding areas where their theme parks are. Um, and the, um, safety. Procedures is a really good point. You know, it's not like they're impervious to needing paramedics or like uh, police services inside the parks. And yeah, it's all going to cost more money if they have to train people to go in and do that instead of just keeping on the uh, employees that they already have that already know the ins and outs of those parks. So
1: I've seen estimates that the residents of these counties, their taxes would go up annually by around $2,500, which is a huge increase.
2: Yeah. And I don't think that it would result in comparable quality either. I mean, we've all been to a Disney park at one point or another. The Disney theme park experience is pretty flawless. They've got all of their procedures and processes Locked down, it they've got it down to a science. Imagine then the counties that are now overburdened by these extra costs and extra responsibilities having to maintain like cleanliness upkeep in the parks, they're not gonna look like they did when Disney was running the show, right? On that kind of thing, and of course, related sort of relative to all of the other concerns. In this story, that that's a pretty low one, Clunlunas of the theme parks, you know, but I think for a lot of theme park goers, the experience yes.
1: of being
2: in a clean and safe environment where things move quickly and you're not stuck in lines for 80 years and when a ride breaks down, it's fixed relatively quickly. People are spending hundreds, sometimes thousands of dollars to go to these theme parks. And we're looking at a scenario wherein the experience could be sort of diminished because of the removal of Disney's independent district here.
1: And to that point, this emailer mentioned that Disney repaves their roads way more than mm-hmm. Florida does outside of the park. And that's because they want to create that perfect experience for people who are visiting. The roads are so much better than they are on uh, I-5 just outside of um, I mean, Disney shit, World or I-4. That's yeah. worth
0: it alone. I, I don't even want to <laughs> tell you guys how many potholes we have in my neighborhood. but Yeah, exactly. That's know. part of the
1: Disney experience. Yeah,
0: exactly. So
2: I asked everyone a couple of weeks ago about how we feel about Disney even having this special consideration in the first place, and I thought I'd check in to see how we feel now.
1: Between this and everything else Florida has been doing, pulling math textbooks from schools and, of course, banning other books and the Don't Say Gay bill. There's so much bad coming out of Florida, unfortunately, because of Ron DeSantis. It seems mostly to fall on his shoulders. I just, um, this isn't directly answering your question, but I thought now is a good time to say we see a lot of people canceling J.K. Rowling and Elon Musk and Twitter and everything else. Maybe it's time to cancel Florida. There's plenty of other places across the country and world that you can visit, other theme parks in other states. If you don't agree with some of the very effed up things that they're doing in Florida, stop visiting there. Stop helping out with their tourism revenue. I don't think it's really worth it. Am I going to say I'm never going to Disney World again? No, but I do know there's plenty of other great places to visit in this country alone. Have I mentioned I really like national parks and everything (laughs) there is real. It's not a fake castle or a fake tree. There's plenty of other opportunities around the country, and maybe now's the time to start canceling Florida. I don't see much talk of that. Why
2: not? It is interesting, I think, because people when they talk about sort of quote unquote canceling things or people or places, it's always private entities. It's never just been a whole state. Um, yeah <laughs> but yeah, I mean, listen, I I was born in Florida. I have family who live in Florida. S- my favorite beach is in Florida, so I'm not gonna say I'm never going there again. but seeing stuff like this, for example, makes me very not interested in ever living
0: there again
1: oh my god i can't imagine no <laughs> i mean with the um,
0: pandemic practices alone they never shut down yeah They were encouraging more tourism while everybody else was trying to stay safe so right. i don't know what it's gonna take to uh to cancel a state that has clearly just become the butt of the joke and so i, I just- think that like that's probably why a lot of what they do is forgivable. It's like, oh, Florida, you're so kooky, you know, but <laughs> that's but why we love time, you. <laughs> like this is way this stuff like it's not funny because stuff like this is is way worse. I mean, you know, the, the yes. don't say gay bill is on another level entirely. So who knows? And again,
1: the story about the math textbooks, it that's really disturbing, too. And they're just right. working their way up. It's just little step by little step and it gets worse and worse and worse. I just want to see more. I'm not saying we need to collectively cancel Florida. I would just like to see more talk of, you know what? I'm not going to Florida anymore. Fuck that. I personally have not seen much of that. Maybe there are some people saying it, but.
2: Well, I'm really glad that you both brought up tourism um, because I've been scratching my head about this whole story for weeks now. Um, given the fact that much of Florida's economy depends on tourism, what do we make of Desantis's move here? Like, why?
1: <laughs> well. I think we all know the answer. It's because he wants to get in this little pissing match because he doesn't like that Disney for the first time in maybe a while is um, speaking out against the decisions that he and the state are making.
0: Laura, I'm not sure if you put this in your notes and, um, and I forgot where I read it or if I read it in another article, but um, I, I, I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that, that part of, disney's self-governing means that they have an easier time expanding when they want to build yes. off of what they already have and so if they're not being given these special privileges anymore um, isn't that going to fall back on you know like won't the public have more of a say in whether or not they want to okay a uh, new infrastructure for the theme parks and stuff Because like out here in California, for example, if you want to build something, there's got to be like a town hall meeting. You have to propose it. Grumpy, rich, old people can be like, we don't want more housing built in our nice small neighborhoods. We don't want a Costco gas station in this area, you know, stuff like that. So I'm just kind of like wondering if if Florida is going to shoot itself in the foot because... If Disney stops expanding, even like Universal Studios stopped offering new features, what is the draw for people to keep coming back? Obviously, there's always going to be people that have never been that are going to want to go visit these places. But but I think that they probably get quite a bit of return investment on on repeat customers that do go back time and time again for family vacations or solo vacations or honeymoons, things like that. Yeah. No,
2: you're exactly right.
0: I don't know exactly
2: how that process would go. But as it stands, Disney, as a self-governing entity in the Reedy Creek District, when they want to expand, they run their permitting process So they're able to move more quickly on these projects than they would be able to if they were subject to local regulations of the two counties that the district is in, right? So this is definitely going to slow down innovation for the parks if it comes to pass. I think that Ron DeSantis knows. All of this, and we can get into sort of like, is this going to survive the courts? Because there's no way the mouse does not take this to court. There's no way Mickey is going to like roll over and let this happen without any form of protest. I think that DeSantis wants to run for president in 2024. Mm -hmm. And I think this is an extremely high profile story that gets all of the crazies on his side because he can stand up there on a platform and say that he went against the woke Disney (laughs) and tried to do this. And I think he knows that there is a chance it doesn't survive the courts. I think he knows that there's a very strong chance that from an implementation standpoint alone, it's not as feasible as saying June 1st, 2023, this is gone It's a huge effort to undo 50 some odd years of this agreement.
1: But he tried and he can say he tried and that's what matters.
0: Laura, are the counties that are going to be directly affected by this the most? Are they already blue counties? Do they already vote blue? I'm so glad you asked that. Um, Orange
2: County for sure. Um, And it's funny because a member of the Florida legislature a couple of weeks ago said that um, if Disney sort of wants to embrace these woke values, that it's only fitting that they be governed by Orange County. So I think another sort of win that state Republicans might be seeing here is that they can set these two counties up to fail because they will. (laughs) there There's no way around it, and then, when it either doesn't happen or when it does happen and it's a fucking shit show, they can blame Orange and Osceola counties instead of saying, uh, Yeah, we knew this was never gonna go through. I see. Something else that I just wanted to point out, um, because I think this will go to court, Mm -hmm. the Supreme Court of the United States actually ruled in 2006, there was a case um, called Hartman v. Moore. And it's one in which the um, defendant... I don't know all the specific details here, but had found some kind of competing product with what the U.S. Postal Service was using. As a result, um, postal investigators opened up an investigation into him. And ultimately, the Supreme Court found that this was retaliation by (laughs) a government um, entity. And in their decision, it was a, I think it was like a 7-2 decision um, against the postal investigators, Um, they said official reprisal for protected speech offends the Constitution because it threatens to inhibit exercise of the protected right. So I just think it's hilarious that the party that cries about free speech all the time (laughs) is doing this. DeSantis and the legislature... How dare Disney speak? Yeah, they are directly retaliating against... Disney for disagreeing with something they did, they're hurting Florida. They're talking about hurting Florida tourism taxpayers, and Disney customers as a direct result of this very clear retaliation. That's why I question whether this stands up in
1: court. They're retaliating against Disney World, who gave them so much. When you think theme parks, when you think of vacation, your first thought is Disney World. Mm-hmm. I've seen some people apparently seriously call for Disney to move out of Florida. And maybe some of them are referring to like their teams. They recently moved some of their California teams to Florida. That I get. Okay, move them out. But I feel like some people are saying move the theme park somewhere else. You are they <laughs> thinking that you could do
0: that like they move the the main street light parade <laughs> periodically yeah, yeah, across the country on like the back let's of put pickup Cinderella's
1: trucks. Castle on the back of a truck? Right. And uh, move it to, I don't know, North Carolina or um, Texas or something. What are these people thinking? This is the uh, the biggest resort probably on the planet dozens of hotels if not more for theme parks water parks like so much around it too that is spun off of disney world's presence there and yeah it's all gonna move yeah Yeah, other hotels come on i don't I i
0: i think
2: that i saw i think it was um the mayor of some town south of houston Put out a call for Disney to move its theme park
0: there
1: (laughs) Okay, Um,
2: as though Texas is that much of an upgrade over Florida. All they
0: have is six flags, right? So very little competition. Right.
1: Yeah. Well, I wanted to close on something I saw. This is Jacob Schumer writing for Bloomberg Law. He is an attorney based out of Florida. He said, Florida simply cannot promise to prospective bondholders that it won't interfere with Reedy Creek and then dissolve Reedy Creek. If Reedy Creek is ever dissolved, it would be a monumental and complicated enterprise even on a years-long timeline. The district has a nine-figure annual budget for expenditures, and even ignoring its various debts, it has a plethora of other contracts that somehow would have to be assigned to and divided between Orange and Osceola counties. However, the disillusion will have to wait until all of its bonds are paid in full. So in short, this probably isn't happening.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I think it's a campaign stunt. But I still think it's really important to highlight all of the things that we did, like the impacts this would have on taxpayers and on consumers and on the state's economy and tourism, because it shows that someone like DeSantis is willing to play fast and loose with people's livelihoods.
1: Yeah. Is that is someone you a want lot for president? Right. And let he's alone doing your it, governor.
2: <laughs> yeah. He's doing it just to energize his base for a 2024 mm-hmm. run. That's my prediction.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. Okay. Well, one more story we wanted to talk about today. Do you two visit Barnes & Noble much anymore?
0: No, I used to go a lot, though. I do if I'm near one. It's it's not the bookstore that's nearest to me anymore, so I don't spend as much time in there as I used to.
1: Okay. I still go I probably once a month, I would say. Biggest bookstore chain here in America. There was a time when the literature industry hated Barnes & Noble because they were the big guy, and everybody thought they might go under because of Amazon. Now sales at Barnes & Noble are up and publishers, independent booksellers and authors actually all like Barnes & Noble again. I thought this was a really interesting report from the New York Times. First of all, independent booksellers are reportedly thankful for Barnes & Noble's existence because, quote, its unique role in the book ecosystem, where it helps readers discover new titles and publishers stay invested in physical stores, makes it an essential anchor in a world upended by online sales and a much larger player, which is, of course, Amazon. Jane DeStell, a literary agent, said it would be a disaster if they went out of business. There's a real fear that without this book chain, the print business would be way off. Meanwhile, why do authors like Barnes & Noble? Well, there's a few reasons. First of all, discovery. And I feel this one real hard. Without physical bookstores, there's less of a chance of discovering a book. And this is really important for small authors, they need that discovery element. They need people walking by their books, seeing it on a little stand or just seeing the cover on the shelf and then pulling it out and reading, uh, you know, the back cover of the book and then hopefully buying it. And unlike independent shops, big bookstores like Barnes & Noble can keep more books on hand, So that's better news for authors. Do you two feel like you discover books online? I feel like I only do it in bookstores.
2: Yeah, I don't either. Um if I'm in a bookstore, yes. But more often than not, when I'm discovering books nowadays, it's through word of mouth. It's through recommendations or it's through seeing, you know, a book or a series really take off through something like TikTok, for example, where everyone's talking about it. That'll make me want to pick a pick a book up. But I never browse Amazon for books.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. Yeah, I was going to cite TikTok as well. Um. I definitely have found some recommendations on there. And then also, if anybody that's listening uses Goodreads to track what they are reading, um, that's a pretty good place to, to find or discover new books because they'll usually show you what titles are trending in genres you tend to gravitate towards. So if you happen to be looking at, at your homepage when you sign in there, you might come across um, uh, a cover that looks interesting, but yeah, I think for the most part, I, I definitely find more stuff that I wouldn't have thought to pick up on my own if I'm browsing at a bookstore or if I'm browsing at the library. So
1: yeah, yeah. So big name authors don't necessarily need. Uh, discovery as much as the smaller authors do but big name authors do like barnes and noble because barnes and noble buys a lot of books for their 600 stores and they're a place for authors to appear at when they're promoting a new release and on a related note barnes and noble is also loved because they move books this is from kristen mclean executive director of business development at npd books She says the chain also keeps publishers invested in distributing physical books around the country. That is good for booksellers of all sizes. I thought that was a really interesting point. Like, why would a publisher ship books across the country if there aren't some big chains who are actually buying up these books? They don't want to move a ton of books just for a couple of mom and pop booksellers. And then for us consumers, Barnes & Noble has a uh, newer CEO. He was actually the head of the UK bookseller Waterstones, and he's made some big changes in the last few years. While at Waterstones, his theory was that chain stores should act less like chain stores and more like independent shops with freedom to tailor their offerings to local tastes. So when he joined Barnes Noble, Barnes & Noble, he lets store managers at these individual stores choose whether to bring in more copies of books based on local sales. I thought that was an interesting behind-the-scenes tidbit.
2: That's really smart. It allows stores to stand out as more individual locations yeah. rather than feeling like this huge chain, which I mean, they are. But the fact that they're letting individuality stand at like the local store level is very cool.
1: Similarly, the managers of these stores are being allowed to feature whatever books they want at the front of the store. Um, This used to be up to Barnes & Noble corporate and publishers would actually have to pay to put their books at the front of the stores. But Barnes & Noble said no more to that, which also, you know, good on them because they're um, removing a potential revenue stream for them, accepting payments from publishers. So now the booksellers are like, you know what? We're here in Las Vegas. Here's a great new fiction title about Las Vegas. Let's put that at the front of the store. They get to make that decision now.
0: And that's super smart as well, because I, I'm sure that you all do this too, but I'm more inclined to like my, eye will automatically gravitate to any of the book plates they have on the shelves that have like staff recommendations. Cause there's always like a nice little blurb about why the person liked it. And that yeah. really adds a nice personal touch. And, and now that you mentioned this, I think that the last time I went into Barnes and Noble, which, which was just a, a couple of of months ago, I did see more of that in that that first like big front um, installation that they have that was pr- previously just reserved for bestsellers. So they had yeah. more of that there, which I thought was really nice. So it's definitely working.
1: They've also focused on selling books more instead of the vast assortment of items that it once carried and that were only tangentially, if at all, related to reading. And actually, a lot of her, uh, they have uh, their sales have increased over the last couple of years, and it is thanks to uh, books primarily, if you look at their sales numbers. And then finally, they are redoing many of their stores. <laughs> I thought this This tidbit made me throw up in my mouth a little bit. Many stores hadn't seen new carpet in 15 years. Not good for a retail store. And um, I just have to say this article didn't mention this, but damn, the Barnes & Noble cafes, they are so outdated. Like, they got to update those.
2: Yeah, (laughs) they do. They feel very 1980s to me
1: yes they're so dated the tiles the chairs like make those more like a modern starbucks and i might st- or panera and i might start going or even like yeah.
0: the the old borders cafe i don't know like it was i always felt like the even though the cafe was obviously like in a borders it felt more of like it had more of like a local coffee shop feel just by the yeah. layout and like the furniture and stuff like that
2: yeah i will say barnes and noble i love the smell I love how I it smells when I walk in there. It's like books and Maybe
0: coffee. it's the 15-year-old carpet.
2: <laughs> Maybe <laughs> actually. It's like the Get grime. Get down on your knees of, and
1: sniff the carpet next time.
2: Yeah, it's like the grime of hundreds of thousands of people right. trampling all over that carpet. <laughs> yeah, and
1: I'm thinking of like gross kids like crawling on the floors and stuff. Ugh, gross. Yeah. But anyway, I'm happy for Barnes & Noble. And I'm happy, more importantly, that um booksellers, independent booksellers and authors like them again, because I remember that time vividly where people didn't like them as much. And I was I like going to Barnes & Noble because you get that huge assortment of books. I like that they sell Funkos, too. They're fun to browse. I always feel inspired to read after I go through a bookstore. And that's a big bookstore I can access pretty easily. So I appreciate Barnes & Noble. Of course, it doesn't have to be said. We here all feel strongly about supporting your local bookseller. But going to Barnes & Noble from time to time, because it helps everybody, it seems, in the book industry. All right. So before we wrap up, let's make a couple of recommendations. (laughs) I'll ask you another question about the old days. You two uh, go to Abercrombie & Fitch when you were growing up?
2: Nope. No. Um, Abercrombie & Fitch did not make clothing sized for anyone above like I think a four or a six when I was growing up so no I didn't get to go there and it's a a large part of my like tween years trauma that I couldn't wear the clothes that everyone else was wearing
1: oh my gosh well I'm sorry I asked (laughs) honestly
0: Laura I'm right there with you um Andrew's recommendation and just like the promotion of this unlocked (laughs) A teenage insecurity for sure. But I think that's part of
2: what this documentary is about. Exactly. It's not not painting Abercrombie and Fitch in a good
0: light. No. No. And it's very comforting to know we all had a similar lived experience. Yeah.
1: (laughs) It's called White Hot, The Rise and Fall of Abercrombie and Fitch. It's a Netflix documentary and it explores the store's pop culture reign in the late 90s and early 2000s and how it thrived on exclusion not just with sizing but it was very white at these stores as well so they talk about both things and it's uh it's pretty interesting it's it's also just a kind of throwback doc for people our age And I, I wasn't like blown away by the documentary, but I've seen a lot of people talking about it on social media. So I thought I would share it because it seems to be interesting. A lot of people.
0: Yeah. I watched it too. And I, um, it was a good, you know, it kept me entertained for how I think it's pretty short. Yeah. So
1: yeah, maybe a little over an Mm -hmm. hour, but it's
0: great for a a nostalgia hit. Like you said, um, there's a lot of pop culture references. So it's it's, it's fun for that. Yeah. Oh my God. Miss Malls. So, Do you remember there was somebody on there that like, they said that like malls w- like, were like social media ads before social media or something. And that just yeah. made me feel so old.
1: Do you, I remember yeah. as a kid still walking by in Abercrombie and Fitch and they had the, the hot shirtless guys, like real hot shirtless guys standing out front the store to like welcome yeah. you in. And, you know, me being closeted gay at the time, I was like, don't look, don't <laughs> look.
0: Ah! Everything, <laughs> like, everything shit. about Abercrombie. From their sizing to their ridiculously attractive male models was so intimidating to me. I would just like avert my eyes and quickly shuffle away. (laughs) Or what about the
2: the perfumes? I feel like any time you walked in one of those stores, it was like an assault. Yeah, Yeah, they spoke
1: about that in the documentary and about how you couldn't see into the store from the outside. You had to go in to actually explore the store, see what they had. (laughs) A really interesting point that I never thought of before. All their bags and, of course, the models, like I just mentioned, they were shirtless. They're selling clothes and they were shirtless.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's it's all part of being a member of an exclusive hot people club, right? Mm
1: -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Cool. I'll have to check that out. Um, I have a recommendation that's kind of related to a recommendation I gave a few weeks ago. I I recommended a Netflix show that has since been canceled called Archive 81. Um, That show is actually based on a podcast of the same name. And we started listening to Archive 81 on our drive last week. And it's really, really good if you like storytelling podcasts. Um, It's also interesting as someone who's seen the show to see some of the creative decisions that were made in the production of the show in terms of like changes or what they kept sort of the same or how they chose to interpret certain things going from an audio only format to like a show format. Um, So definitely recommend checking it out. The episodes are really short. They're like 10 to 15 minutes each. So they are bite-sized nuggets. It's not like you're making a huge commitment every time you start an episode. So highly recommend it if you're into that creepy stuff,
0: horror vibe like I am. <laughs> and I also have a podcast recommendation uh, related to something that we brought up uh, on this show a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I know we talked about Bo Burnham's Inside, which is the Netflix special during our comic stand-up. A uh, segment a couple of weeks ago. And if you want to take a little bit more of a deep dive in that, I would highly recommend checking out Dissect Podcast's seven part mini series. The first episode just launched today and each episode will be focused on a different track from Bo Burnham's Inside. I really love this show so much. Um, they usually pick a different music album each season to, dissect track by track uh normally it's it's some kind of like hip-hop um album so this is something new for their show and uh i just really love the analysis and the attention to detail and um just like learning about music theory through uh going along on the journey On this show. So if you are a fan of Bo Burnham's Inside, I would highly recommend checking that out.
1: Cool. Yeah, I remember when everybody was raving about that. So before we get to After Dark, a couple of reminders. You can contact us by writing directly to MillennialShow at gmail.com or by using the contact form or anonymous confessional on MillennialShow.com. You can also follow us on social media. Our username is MillennialShow on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And on TikTok, we are MillennialPod. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew.
2: I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. Bye, everyone. Bye.